Xanax with something else was yeah. my was my drug of choice. That was my holy yeah. grail. Getting a, a diagnosis of complex post-traumatic stress. Four years clean. Um, at the end of the year, someone did say to me, um, you know, like, remember that's going to be out there forever. Boom. What is happening, Real Drug Talk family? Um, welcome to another episode of the podcast. Now, today's show actually originally aired today on YouTube. Um, and we would love it if you like what we're doing with this podcast to head over to YouTube. Just take a second right now to head over to YouTube where Real Drug Talk on YouTube um, and give us a subscribe and a like and maybe hit the notifications bell for our new videos because we are going to be pumping out content on YouTube every week. As of now, the schedule is Tuesday and Thursdays, even though it's Wednesday today, I know. But Tuesdays and Thursdays, new videos will be coming out. Um, and yeah, if you guys subscribe and, and help us out with that, what it does is kind of hack the algorithm a little bit and push us through the ranks. And we know that there's heaps of people searching around on YouTube for hope, inspiration and answers around addiction and recovery and information and all that sort of stuff so if you like what we're doing we would really appreciate it um if you could head over to youtube and give us that subscribe to help us push up through the through the ranks um and as always hope you enjoyed this show if you like what you're listening to feel free to head over to the youtube channel and watch it um thanks into the show peace your main thing was like prescription pills for yeah. a lot of the time yeah yep. for sure i mean like it's 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 so hard for me to really clearly define um i loved them all i was i was a absolute glutton for um you know pretty much anything that um made me um you know not have to be in reality you know um you know but you know since so like i said like since the age of 13, I was really heavily, you know, like addicted to, to cannabis and, um, you know, smoking, smoking weed in the family home, like, you know, every day, um, having groups of like, you know, eight young men, you know, jam packed into this small little bedroom that I had. And, you know, my mum just wondering like, what the fuck is going on in there? Um, and, um, you know, like I remember once I, once I got addicted to, to the, the, the chuff and, um, you know, probably about a year, you know, whatever, like, obviously I was a young, really young person. So like, I didn't have heaps of cash, like the way I used to kind of um, fund that, you know, like at that time it was, you know, I was like a gram of weed a day at the age of 14 and which isn't much at all. But um, the way I funded that was, you know, like at school I'd go scab, you know, like dollar coins at the tuck shop line um, at lunchtime and stuff. And, um, you know, get $15 for the end of every school day, you know? Um, and I remember one day I couldn't do that. Um, for some reason, one day I didn't have money and I, I didn't have weed that night and I just couldn't sleep. And it was my first real experience of like, oh, fuck, like I'm, like, I'm reliant on this shit. And, um, you know, like I, um, I went into my mom's room, like, oh, mom can't sleep. She didn't have any idea why. Um, and, um, you know, she gave me this pill. Um, and my mom was like, it's really sweet, like, you know, really clueless person. She was prescribed um, a prescription drug called Valium um for her anxiety right and so she goes oh this might help leo you know like try this <laughs> <laughs> and the poor thing like no idea um and you know i tried it and um it felt good you know put me to sleep and um and um 
so from there, I guess like I, I started, you know, um, stealing her, her prescription medication. So Valium, um, after a while she got prescribed to Xanax and, um, you know, like I started to work out that, oh, if I took this Xanax and this Valium, um, and I smoked weed as well, I'd, I'd feel even better. Um, yeah. and, um, and you know, then I worked out, you know, if I drank on it, like I'd feel even better and like all, all this different stuff. And, um, you know, really quickly, um, really it wasn't, it wasn't Xanax person. It was like Xanax with something else was yeah. my, was my drug of choice. That was my holy yeah. grail. And, and, you know, from those moments, I, my, you know, my goal in life was to get prescribed to Xanax. <laughs> I'd be happy if I, I got a prescription to Xanax. And, um, you know, obviously, um, when you take Xanax, you kind of, you, it's almost like um, a blackout drunk kind of thing. You forget whole, you know, big periods of you know, what you've been doing. You wake up and the next morning, you've got all this stolen shit, like at, at your feet and kind of don't know where you've been. You woke up with cuts, bruises, you know, bleeding, um, well, that was my experience. Oh, a hundred percent. To this day, I tell people that all the time, a hundred percent, like the worst drug that I ever took, not because of, but we, yeah, it was Xanax. Cause like, and then, and it was really cheap when we were using as well. It was yeah. like, I know it's really expensive now, but it was like two, two bucks for a tablet. Yeah. And you could like, when you first start, you can, oh, anytime really. You could have like one or two tablets and a couple of beers and you're fu- like, you're fucked. <laughs> you like there's a good chance that you are, that like you'll struggle to remember stuff the next yeah. day, you know? Yeah. And, and like that stuff is so, is so addictive as well. Like um, the stuff that's pr- pr- produced by pharmaceutical companies, that's the good stuff. That's the most addictive stuff. And, um, you know, withdrawals from, you know, any kind of, um, you know, prescription pool like Xanax or Valium or, you know, lorazepam and all that stuff. Um, extremely, extremely difficult to withdraw off. And, um, you know, for me, it got it like, I, I remember this really clear time where, um, you know, like I had a couple of mates who, who got into using heroin and I, I tried heroin a few times and, um, you know, I'd overdosed like every time, like, you know, stopped breathing and got brought back to life. And I thought, oh, I better just stick to the Zannies and, um, I had this one, this one time where I was, you know, off my head down at, you know, one of the local train stations and, you know, like can of bourbon in one hand, ciggy in another hand, trying to scab money for it, you know, another can of bourbon, um, really like low, low kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking about it, it's just crazy, but, um, and I was just so like dead set on, I needed to get the train to Richmond and, um, and go to my dealer to get, to get Zannies and, um, and I had these two dudes that I was with who, you know, were pretty hooked on heroin. Um, and they were like, Leo, like, why can't you just not, you know, <laughs> like, why don't you just not get Zannies today? Um, and I was just like, I, I just like had to go. Um, and they just left me there. Um, and, um, you know, I think about times like that and I go like the, you know, the power of that little pill, you know, like mm. on my, on my psyche and on my mind and, um, you know, it just took over. In recovery then as well, like, have you had, um, like, have you had to continually go on and seek professional help? Have you been diagnosed with stuff? Like, has there been in a good or a bad way, like labels put onto you that make sense that have played out in your life that you can kind of make sense of and tie back to your experiences with drugs? 
Yeah, sure. Like, I, I guess my kind of story was in terms of like, um, you know, at, at the age of 21 to 25, I started trying to get clean um, and, you know, had a few little hiccups along the way and kind of got clean and then used and got clean and then used. But um, my experience was I was always really against kind of like therapy. Um, and I, like as a young person, I was like, you know, 15, 16, 17, mum just wanted to fix me. She'd take me to psychologists. She'd take me to family counselling. Um, I'd have to go to, you know, juvenile justice workers, like all this stuff. And um, obviously I didn't put any effort into doing it, but like I just got taken there. So, but I always had this thing of like, nah, they don't work. Um, so this time around when I, when I really decided that, um, you know, I needed to, to stop using drugs, um, I yeah thought like fuck I, I better I better do some therapy and um I I ended up engaging with this with this dude who um who just from the moment I met him kind of um felt extremely comfortable with and um yeah I ended up getting a, a diagnosis of complex post-traumatic stress yeah um, and you know for me um that diagnosis so the difference with complex post-traumatic stress is um it's a prolonged prolonged exposure to, um, to trauma, right? So, um, and, and that kind of, opposed to kind of one specific incidence, and um, that kind of says to me that, um, yeah, like, as a young person, right? Or whether, you know, I can connect it to my using years, I can also connect to my young years, but um, we've kind of established like a, a fair bit of that comes from when I, when I was a young person. And um, having that, that, I guess, diagnosis or label or whatever you, whatever you want to call it really to give me some understanding and go oh yeah like it's not like something else is acknowledging my pain um in a way um and going like yeah it, it wasn't easy for me um and the experience I had with my whole life was I minimized everything you know like I um grew up my whole life saying oh yeah nothing nothing bad enough has happened to me to become a drug addict you know like yeah my life was good um and um you know by by going into therapy and i guess looking at that diagnosis and having you know a professional say to me um leo like that there some tough shit happens you know like that's not normal um and um and someone going like it's no wonder you have you know these feelings of you know rejection and abandonment and you kind of um like look for something to kind of, um, you know, age you when feeling that stuff and yeah. in, in not feeling that stuff. So the, those, 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 that label and diagnosis was really helpful for me. Um, yeah. It has kind of at times gone into the, gone into, you know, Oh, I'm stuck with this. this is, I'm going to be like this forever. Yeah. Um, but more so than not, more, more times than not, it's been a really helpful, helpful thing. Yeah. Nah. And definitely because it's funny, right? And just for everyone listening, being 100% honest, like, you know, I've had numerous conversations with Leo after him having this diagnosis, which has kind of inspired me to try and get out of denial a little bit and slowly go back and see different professionals. Because despite having, in my life, having a lot of shit going really well, um, I guess externally and internally, I still, I, I still have patches where I'll just fucking be like wiped out. And it's not, it's not normal either. It's not like, oh, I'm just feeling a bit flat. <laughs> it's, like, it's like I can't get out of bed, you know? Um, and, 
and people are probably like we're we're, pro- we're laughing about this, right? Yeah. <laughs> people probably hear this and probably don't understand it. Like we're just laughing about it because we we know we know like depression and all this stuff isn't funny. It's fucking really hard, but. Um, yeah. Knowing you, I, I know what it's like for you, and it's hard, yeah, not to laugh at times. Yeah, yeah, no, and it's good. Well, that's the only thing you can do is laugh, and it actually fucking helps me to laugh about it. But, but like what you were saying is true. Is like I always, and I don't know how to say this politically correctly, but this is my <laughs> podcast, so who gives a fuck? Um, you know, I always associated that kind of thinking of myself as having a diagnosis or or acknowledging my troubles in my life and the different stuff that's happened as not like weak i don't think it's weak but i kind of i i very much saw different people in my life that were like fucking victims to their past experiences not just because they had it but just constantly not like having a diagnosis or having an awareness of what's going on and not just talking about it, but really like falling into it and going on about it and just becoming that identity of that thing. Mm. And I really associated talking about my stuff around that and not wanting to be one of those people, but you're right. Like a hundred percent acknowledging it and actually having the courage to talk about it and kind of go, Oh fuck, that really did happen to me. It helps heaps. It helps heaps. Nowadays I kind of feel, I feel quite passionate feel like i definitely have um a story to tell i feel yeah. like um you know nothing really but you know good can come from um you know sharing your experience and kind of um you know letting people out there know that they're not necessarily alone as well yeah. um um i guess sharing some funny shit along the way yeah so no i i think it's awesome but it's a good it's a good issue to talk about actually i think because um there's there's kind of some funny nuance around it. I'd be interested to get your opinion. So how many years have you kind of been in recovery now for? Mm. So I'm coming up to four years clean um, at the end of the year. So um, just a couple of months shy of that. Um, And, you know, I've kind of been around recovery circles since about 2014. So I don't know what's that like six or seven years. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Six years. So, um, you know, I, I remember when I first like did something a while ago, like on the radio, um, and someone did say to me, um, you know, like, remember that's going to be out there forever. Um, yeah. and, um, you know, I, I, I do, I do think about it when I come to do this stuff, I go, oh, um, you know, is that going to affect, you know, future job opportunities and stuff like that. But I guess I, I'm lucky, you know, I work in the, the AOD field and stuff like that. So, um, you know, I share my story, um, pretty regularly within my work and, um, you know, aspects of my story. So, um, yeah, I guess I've become more comfortable with it and, um, you know, I'm lucky enough to like not be too worried about that stuff in my workplace. Yeah. No, it's interesting because, uh, as you, as you know, um, we're doing the, um, experience matters collective and we're thinking about, cause there's always this debate about people with a lived experience, like, and it's true. It's actually, it's correct. And it's a good thing around, you know, teaching people how to tell their stories. Um, but I've just, it's, it's been funny because I've been talking to professionals lately and stuff and it's a fine, it's a fine balance because you do want to talk to people about the pitfalls that could happen. You want to talk about like the benefits that could happen. Um, and you want to help them to frame their story so they don't get taken advantage of and all that stuff. 
But then also, right, I found, and I don't, I'd be interested to hear if you found the same thing. There's, there's kind of professionals and they, they think they're sort of helping, but they're almost like telling people how to tell their stories, you know, just to kind of conveniently fit into the bits that they want to hear about because it fits into the academic research that they've been conducting or whatever it is. Have you experienced that or what, what do you think about the parameters around having people help you tell your story? I know we weren't expecting to talk about this. I randomly uh, thought about it. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I feel like it's kind of like anything in life, um, you know, from politics to, you know, wherever you go, like people are trying to frame particular narratives um, yeah. and, you know, society does try and mould, you know, in any kind of conversation, how we frame a different narrative. And um, I think... You know, it, all that stuff you mentioned is really important. But, um, and the reality is that, um, you know, if, if, it's, if it's a genuine trying to kind of help, you know, say a consumer um, or someone who's, you know, sharing their story, um, if it's a genuine thing of like, hey, we care about your interests, um, I think that stuff's really important. Yeah. Because um, the, the, rea the reality is, right, um, you know, that there's a whole heap of stigma out in, in the community. Um, you know, people with drug and alcohol issues um, are viewed as, you know, um, people who just haven't tried hard enough in life yeah. um, or, you know, people who um, have made that choice. So I think by going out and sharing your story, the reality is like, um, if you do want to, you know, step into a workplace that, you know, is kind of away from maybe, you know, the community sector or something like that, um, it is really important for, for, you know, someone who cares about your interests to go, hey, like, just so you know, like, I understand you, but the, the rest of the world might not. Okay, and that is another episode of Real Drug Talk. Again, like we mentioned at the start of the show, if you could head over um, to our YouTube channel, give, give us a subscribe. I can't talk today. Bloody hell. Give us a subscribe, um, like some of the videos, and also maybe hit the notifications bell. Um, a, you know, we hope that you like the content and you watch some of our videos and it helps and provides some kind of a value. But B, what it also does is help us to push up the ranks of YouTube um, and reach people that are looking for help, support and answers, which there's lots of them on YouTube. So we would really appreciate if you could do that for us. Um, and yeah, uh, have a great day and we'll be vibing in your ears again on Sunday. Peace.